all of us. Everyone at the state's academic medical center. All working together to deliver complete care now and for generations to come. All over the state, including hospital and clinic locations from the Delta to the Gulf Coast. All for one reason. You. The University of Mississippi Medical Center. All for your health. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. Hi, I'm Dr. Susan Buttress, Professor of Pediatrics at the University of Mississippi Medical Center and host of Southern Remedies Relatively Speaking. Join us as we explore issues that relate to you and your family, from mental health obstacles and family interactions to handling life disruptions. Whatever the issue, let's try to figure it out together. You can listen live Tuesdays at 11 on MPB Think Radio, or you can subscribe to the podcast by searching for Southern Remedy on your preferred podcasting app. Good morning, and thanks for tuning in. You're listening to Southern Remedy, Healthy and Fit on MPB Think Radio. I'm your host, Josie Bidwell, Associate Professor of Preventive Medicine and Nurse Practitioner at the University of Mississippi Medical Center. And joining me today, I have Dr. Elena Dent. She is an Assistant Professor of Preventive Medicine and a Registered Dietitian, also at UMMC. And today we're going to be talking about the anti about an anti-inflammatory diet. I wouldn't I'm not going to call it the anti-inflammatory diet because there's not kind of one specific diet that um, that that is talking about, but how we can use foods um, to address inflammation and why that's important in our overall health. You can email us fit at mpbonline.org. Good morning, Elena. Good morning, Josie. I'm so glad that you were able to join me for this because I know that uh, we, you and I in clinic work a lot on, on this topic, and it's one that is kind of misunderstood by a lot of folks, I think. Um, so I really want to start with the notion of inflammation and kind of what that is and why it's important for overall health. Sure. So, you know, I don't know if we could talk to anybody with uh, chronic disease that in some way or other doesn't say, well, I have chronic low inflammation, you know, a chronic low grade yeah. inflammation, right? Um, so inflammation is really, you know, there's a lot, many ways you could define it, but I think of it as just kind of a state of, I hate to use the word irritation, but it's, we can have just a yeah. state of this chronic, like I said, low grade um, inflammation. So we have some, uh, we have some mechanisms going on that promote an inflammatory state in our body. And really, it's when you're in an inflammatory state, we just have an imbalance of those factors that promote inflammation versus those that help kind of tampen down inflammation. Yeah. And I think it's important to remember that there's acute inflammation and then chronic inflammation. And anytime we have like an injury to our body, we have some acute inflammation in, at that point in time, right? So if we get stung by a bee or we cut ourselves or we stub our toe, the, all those different kinds of things start 
an inflammatory process, and that's needed, right? So not all inflammation is is bad. That kind of initial phase of inflammation helps to deliver all the things that you need to heal that area to the site, like our blood vessels dilate, um, different types of blood cells respond to that to help prevent infection, and and all different kinds of things. It's it's kind of one of the classic when something's getting gets red and puffy and swollen over that area. That's like an acute inflammation, but past that kind of acute phase when we have chronic inflammation that is just underlying in in different parts of our body, that can contribute to chronic disease development. And some of the more commonly uh, or, or more researched and a lot more evidence under, underlying them in terms of inflammation are things like diabetes and um, high blood pressure and heart disease and um, even, you know, things like asthma and those types of things are, are linked to kind of this cr- chronic underlying inflammation. Um, but I think as the the science evolves and as the research evolves, we'll see that more and more uh, disorders have uh, an underlying chronic inflammatory process that's at least, while not the sole cause of it, may be responsible for some of the symptoms. Wouldn't you say so? Oh, I would absolutely agree. Yeah. yeah. So... If we're thinking of kind of chronic inflammation as not a great thing, right, um, we want to think about things that make inflammation worse, which are pro-inflammatory, and things that make inflammation better, which we often call anti-inflammatory. And that word's probably a word that's familiar to some folks because some of our medications that we use are called anti-inflammatory medications. Uh, But we can do that through lifestyle as well. There are things that we do with our with our body, and in particular what we're going to talk about today, the foods that we um, choose um, can either be pro-inflammatory or anti-inflammatory. So I think the best place to start, or one of probably the most interesting places to start, is with um, fat. And um, Elena, we did, we've done a couple of shows over the past month or so. Um, the first one we did was a macronutrient show. And so we talked about the differences between proteins and fats and carbohydrates. And then we did one last week about micronutrients. And so if we're going to start with fats, um, our listeners can kind of think back and remember to when we talked about fats and that fats are essential for our body, right? So we're not a no fat, um, uh, not what we're talking about is the types of fats that we choose. So are there better fats or worse fats um, when we're trying to eat on more of an anti-inflammatory eating pattern? Yeah, um, I love this topic because like you said, there is, I think there tends to be some confusion around it. So this is definitely not an anti-fat discussion. Yeah. Uh, so when we think about fats, you know, not all fats are created equal. So we like to categorize fats into saturated fats. So, I, you know, a simple way to think of it is saturated fats are those fats that want to Uh, be solid or they are solid at room temperature and then they tend to be those that you know can uh, develop or build up plaque or quote-unquote clog um, are those vessels throughout our body and so saturated fats are found from mostly animal sources so uh, you know the marbling that you see on a steak or a pork chop or uh, you know the fat that we get from whole milk or cream or a nice cheese so saturated fats in general uh, are fall into that pro-inflammatory category, along with trans fats. So trans fats uh, are actually liquid at room temperature, but then have been processed to make solid, and they really help extend the shelf life mm-hmm. of foods. And you find trans fats in a lot of pro- heavily processed foods, like a lot of snack cakes and 
uh, packaged items. And we also find them in a lot of um, like deep fried foods. So when we think of fats as far as pro-inflammatory fats, I like to put into that category those saturated fats and the trans fats. Yeah. And then on the other side of that, we have fats that are anti-inflammatory. And so those are going to be uh, more so of your monounsaturated and polyunsaturated fats. And uh, I would imagine several of our listeners are probably familiar with the term omega-3 mm. fatty acids. Those, that's really the uh, one of the biggest or uh, well-researched uh, anti-inflammatory um, fatty acid that we have. And that's why you hear the recommendation of, you know, eat salmon or walnuts. A big part of that are, is because of the healthier fats that fall into that. Um, but like olive oil falls into this category of anti-inflammatory fats as well, um, along with ghee and even avocados and avocado oil. Yeah. And, you know, you mentioned those trans fats, and that's an important thing uh, because labels are required to disclose that now. Um, usually on the front, they have to say if there's any trans fat, and, and it should be per serving labeled trans fat free, but you can have a little bit of trans fat uh, <laughs> and yeah. still classify as trans fat free, right? I think it's a, um, what, a half a yeah. gram per yeah, serving? Yeah, half a gram per serving. And so, for people who are really trying to watch that, look for the term hydrogenated on those labels. That's usually a key. If you see like a hydrogenated oil, that can uh, be a key insight that it may contain some trans fat. Wonderful. Yeah, that's a really good tip um, in there because that is the process where they took that liquid oil and made it more shelf stable in some of these baked items. So you may see that there. Uh, so, um, you know, we mentioned omega-3s, which are probably the more talked about category. There's also omega-6, and sometimes people get confused because they're like, oh, well, if omega-3s are good, then omega-6s have to be even better because there's like right. twice of them, you know? <laughs> and it's actually yeah. not the case, right? So yeah. omega-6s, yeah. we would place them more in the inflammatory category. We would, and we find a lot of omega-6 fatty acids in the typical Western diet, right? So think of our typical American diet. And the key here, the key takeaway from my standpoint is, I, you know, if you're a listener, I don't want you to run, you know, take this and say, oh, my gosh, I have to cut out every omega-6 right. fatty acid that I'm ever eating. It's all about, you know, like we always like to promote balance and moderation. Um, but when you look into, um, you know, guidelines for omega-3s and omega-6s, it's about finding an ideal ratio. Um, and if you don't want your head to hurt to really think about what is my best ratio, <laughs> <laughs> Focus on adding more foods with omega-3s. And, yeah. it, and when you do that, you're, it will help balance out those omega-6s. Yeah. I mean, there are, you're right. There's kind of the, the perfect number out there when you look at what is the perfect balance between inflammatory versus anti-inflammatory um, on those. But uh, that's a lot of, of calculation that goes into that. Yeah. And so the way to shift yeah. that ratio, just like you mentioned, is to increase the ones that are anti-inflammatory. And that's naturally going to shift that ratio into a healthier um, kind of pattern for you there. Yeah. Um, but again, we don't want to get too bogged down. Um, we just want to have more of our omega-3s, which you mentioned some good sources of that, things like um, fishes. Um, and then if you're a plant-based eater, um, things like walnuts, flax seeds, um, chia seeds, those different kinds of things are good sources of those fatty acids as well, right? Yes, absolutely. All right. So let's kind of kind of dive from fats into um, into 
carbohydrates. So probably one of the most uh, <laughs> talked about <laughs> and argued about uh, macronutrients out there. Um, but again, there can be carbohydrates that are m- kind of better for us in terms of inflammation and those that are a little bit worse um, for us as well. Talk to me about carbs. Absolutely. So first and foremost, carbohydrates are a necessary macronutrient. Okay, it's where we get the majority of our energy from. It's what our brain functions off of. Um, Carbohydrates tend to be demonized, though, because in the typical American diet, we eat a lot of processed, highly processed carbohydrates. And so from an inflammatory standpoint, very highly processed foods and in particular highly processed sources of carbohydrates uh, can definitely feed into that pro-inflammatory cycle. And, you know, what we really want, again, to shift to is less processed things, if possible. Um, You know, again, real life happens, you know, and so I see a lot of people that are, they get afraid of foods, you know, they'll be like, well, I'm just, I'm not eating bread anymore. Uh, And that, that makes me a little bit sad because if you like bread and if you love bread and you don't necessarily have to eliminate those things completely just because they're a carbohydrate, it's about, again, balancing that plate and building that plate off of things that are uh, going to decrease inflammation so that you're still then able to have um, have some of the foods that you enjoy. Absolutely. And you brought up a, a big one is bread. I hear all the yeah. time. Uh, you know, several of our patients will say, well, I'm trying to cut out bread, you know, and it's, again, not just like not all fats are created equal, not all carbohydrates are created equal, and bread is no different. So, you know, oftentimes I try to explain, well, you know, we often hear, oh, you should eat um, wheat bread, not white bread. And But I will ask patients, well, why is that? Do you understand why? Because I'm the type of person, Josie, if I don't understand why, yeah. you know, I'm, you're asking me to do something, I'm not as likely to do it. So, um, this place goes back into the less processed and whole form of foods. And so, you know, specifically with using bread as an example, the recommendation is usually, you know, a, a whole grain, whole wheat form of bread, and in theory is less processed. And part of that is because, you know, you're going to get a better, uh, more fiber from that. And fiber can be anti-inflammatory uh, for many reasons, uh, but it is a great way, um, a great source of a complex carbohydrate would be one that's high in fiber, like a whole grain or whole wheat bread. And so if you're not sure if this is, you know, if one bread is better than the other, I say start with the, the fiber content itself and look for a bread that has at least three grams of fiber in it. And so when we compare this to our typical white bread, um, which on average is going to have less than a gram of fiber per serving. If I were looking at those through the lens of anti-inflammatory, I would want to choose the one that had higher fiber, which in general is going to be your whole grain, uh, excuse me, whole grain uh, or whole wheat bread. Absolutely. Kevin, I think you got a question for us, right? Yes. Um, So in our discussion here, where in our bodies is this inflammation occurring? Mm, That's a really great one. Elena, you want (laughs) to, it is a good one. Yeah, I'll take a first stab at that, but it's really um, throughout our entire body because one way you can look at inflammation is looking at um, our kind of levels of reactive oxygen species, which are really kind of uh, byproducts that are generated from regular um, metabolic processes, okay? And 
we have antioxidants that are going to come in and help tamper down those free radicals or reactive oxygen species. And this is happening, Kevin, throughout all the cells in your body. So unfortunately, there's no really cellular, you know, cell space that I'm aware of that's immune to this, so to speak. So it's really just throughout. Right. So it's not going to be just like you got it in your toe, uh, you know, and that kind of stuff. It really is more kind of chronic and underlying. And, you know, we're talking about foods that kind of increase inflammation, but calories in general, right? If we have too many calories on board, um, we're taking in more than we're burning, right? Then we start to gained some weight and that actual adipose tissue that fat tissue is also inflammatory right absolutely there are a lot of pro-inflammatory um uh components that are uh, that are upregulated when you have an excess in adipose tissue and not just you know any adipose tissue particularly we see this in patients who carry more what we call visceral adipose tissue um and adipose tissue that is concentrated around the abdominal area. Right. Absolutely. Uh, so if, if carbs are not bad and we need to be eating carbs, right. And you mentioned a word a minute ago, you said antioxidants. I think that that's a perfect kind of segue into talking about those carbohydrates that we do need to eat more of, and that will provide things like antioxidants. So let's just start with what is an antioxidant? Cause that's sure. a buzzword. It is a buzzword and it has, you know, come in and out of, um, every Facebook article you can imagine, right? And Pinterest article over the years. But the antioxidants are really, um, the, you know, a chemical, and I don't be scared of the word chemical. They're like the natural. Naturally occurring chemical. Naturally yes. occurring, right? Um, but it's a component that we find in many um, foods, such as certain fruits, vegetables, and even um, whole grains, and uh, that as I mentioned earlier, help tamper down the amount of reactive oxygen species that we have, um, or, you know, an overall kind of an oxidative stress uh, state. So you need antioxidants to help balance out that inflammation. So if you're consuming a typical American diet that we know is full of a lot of pro-inflammatory components and contributes to a state of, you know, low-grade chronic inflammation, but you're not feeding yourself a, a good source of antioxidants, which again are fruits and come from fruits and vegetables and and whole grains and legumes, uh, you're really it's a hard to find that balance, right? Of getting back into an anti or less inflammatory state. Right, and there's kind of some words that I would consider kind of grouping together, right? Like antioxidants, phytochemicals. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, phenol, you know, polyphenols, those kinds of things. And that can get confusing as well. Like what is a phytochemical? Right. <laughs> so uh, phytochemical, I think of as just a chemical that is helpful for like, it's, it's a healthy, uh, going to have some health components when you consume it. So we find phytochemicals in lots of plant, plant foods. Right. And so shifting, which I like to use that word a lot, shifting the proportion of my plate to more plants is one of those ways to get more antioxidants on board, more of those phytochemicals. And like you mentioned, they kind of help. I think of them as like scavengers. They're like scavenging all of those um, 
extra the security re- guard. Yeah, they're 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 scavenging and recruiting all those kind of extra more damaging compounds that you mentioned. Those reactive oxygen um, species that are out there and helping to kind of tamp down, like almost like pouring um, water on a fire, right? Just kind of kind of yeah. tamping it down a little bit. And so, if you're a regular listener to the show, you know we talk a lot about plant based diets, and I've been really um, open with the fact that plant-based does not have to mean plants only, um, that, you know, it certainly can, and that is a completely healthful way to eat, but it's about shifting the proportion of that plate. Um, so you, you can find lots of different recommendations out there. Uh, kind of the, the one that I recommend is three quarters of the plant of the plate as as plant foods right that way you know you're starting with the majority of what you're eating having things like fiber having things like antioxidants and phytochemicals and those nutrients in there and being relatively low in calorie which all of those things set us up for reducing inflammation yeah absolutely and, it, you know, I just want to reiterate, um, you know, for any listener, don't try not to get bogged down into, you know, it can be very confusing with antioxidants versus phytochemicals. Right. Uh, you know, all the, there, think of antioxidant as just, antioxidants as a big family. Um, and underneath, you know, in your family, you have siblings, you have aunts, you have uncles, and they're just different types of those, of antioxidant compounds. So there are a bunch of different families and family branches. And the key is to get a variety. So don't get too bogged down in trying to nail down, oh, I need this specific type of antioxidant. Uh, in general, I would say focus on, I just want to get a variety. And the, the best way to do that is like you're saying, when you're building your plate, um, thinking of how you put that plate together. Yeah. And I'm glad you mentioned that because that kind of leads into the, you know, the messaging that's come out that's like eat the rainbow and those kinds of things. But that's why, um, you know, we're kind of talking about that as each of those colors of the different fruits and vegetables <laughs> kind of point to whether it's, you know, which kind of part of the, the family of antioxidants it, it is. And so eating a variety of those helps you to get, you know, a little bit of each one of those in. What I don't want people to get, uh, and I see it all the time in uh, in clinic, is get kind of fixated on one particular food because it may be marketed really, really well, yep. um, you know, and say, you know, this is a great source of this particular antioxidant. And so, they don't like it, right? But they're eating, they're spending their money on it and they're eating it and not enjoying it because of this notion that it's anti-inflammatory and it's going to just be a miracle for health. And I know my stance on that is that there's no miracle food. And I bet yours right. is, the, is the same yeah. way. <laughs> you know, Absolutely. Yeah. You know, if you don't like it, don't eat it. Let's find yeah. something else in that same family of things, right, that yeah. we could add into your diet. You know, uh, berries are something that I recommend for lots and lots of folks um, because they are full of, you know, anti-inflammatory properties. Uh, they've also got some good fiber in them. They're lower on the glycemic index for folks who are worried about the sugar content of their fruit. Uh, but if you hate berries, then forcing yourself to eat those as part of an anti-inflammatory eating pattern is not promoting good health, right? It's just stressing you out about having to buy something, prep something, and eat something that you don't enjoy, where maybe we switch to grapes, 
right? And we pick up a purple grape and we get those same compounds uh, from that particular food. So it's it's not a, a, a kind of one and done, you have to eat this particular thing. Um, I see a lot of folks um, uh, recently who just, they're like, well, I'm doing um, celery juice and I'm, mm-hmm. I'm drinking celery juice every day. Um, and if that's something that you enjoy, and it's making you feel better, I'm not going to tell you to stop that, but I'm also not going to tell you to add that to your diet if you if you don't enjoy that. And I know I would not enjoy that. No, not a fan of celery juice. But just like you said, if that's something you enjoy. And, you know, Jesse, I, I would assume you've seen this, but sometimes I see, though, you know, sometimes that messaging, right, that one food gets of being, you know, super high in antioxidants. We'll take blueberries, for example, because... You mentioned berries, and berries have had a lot of research. We know they are excellent sources yep. of uh, antioxidants. If that introduces someone into eating a blueberry and say they were never they weren't eating any absolutely kind of fruit, right, sometimes it's just it helps open that door. And I'm you know absolutely all about that. But I do want to reiterate what you said. There's no miracle food, right? Yeah. And it, it's always going to come down to um, balance and variety. Yeah, it, it is. And, you know, I often do write prescriptions for my patients to start berries because that's something they feel uh, comfortable doing, right? And so it is a good way to kind of broach that adding a fruit into your diet or adding a, a vegetable in. Because a lot of folks, you know, we talked about three quarters of the plate being plant foods, but a lot of, the, the, uh, a lot of folks eat little to none on on the yep. fruits and vegetables I mean that's something we take for granted you know where we just assume that people eat fruits and vegetables and it may be for a variety of reasons it may be a cost factor it may be an you know an access to being able to get things it may be not sure how to cook it uh you know or any recipes yep. that that would go along with it especially if it is maybe a food that you've grown up eating but you've only eaten it maybe in a in a less than healthy uh preparation of it and you're 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 trying to make better choices and you're like well I don't know how to eat that food if it's not right fried, you know, those Mm -hmm. types of things. But if you're not eating any, right, then don't worry about trying to make two thirds of that plate plant foods. Just start by adding one. Yeah. And I, I too, if you're someone that's really like a meat and potatoes kind of person, often we'll say, well, let's think about like how much of the plate does your meat typically take up? And if it's usually half, which is not uncommon at all, you know, I said, well, maybe the first place is you know, instead of thinking, oh, I have to cut out this, all, you know, the meat, because like you said, that's not necessary, but it's really what can I add to this that's just going to end up taking up more of the plate anyway. And over time, that the amount of that fatty meat that you may be consuming um, is just decreased. Absolutely. So. This is Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit on MPB Think Radio. I'm Josie Bidwell here with Elena Dent, and we are talking about anti-inflammatory foods today. And we do have a caller on the line, so we're going to go to Mobile and say good morning to Mikey. Hi, Mikey. How can we help you? I have a comment. All right. Um, And and I scared Charlie a little bit when I said, um, Mr. Charlie, I should say, uh, a little bit when I said, he said, well, what is it about? I said, being a bad girl at a good time. Oh, gosh. <laughs> but I am sincere in this, and I will follow up. Because I was, um, forgive me, I just finished uh, uh, consuming what I consider to be breakfast. Okay. And breakfast for me is now, ordinarily, 
you know, look, I can't help it. I got some Irish and Scottish in me, okay? I love white potatoes. I don't eat them all the time, but I do have them sometimes. And I found that for me, it's better to keep more of the same clothing size if I go ahead and, like, have them when I'm having a late breakfast. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, it's, it's convenient. You just shove it in the microwave, basically. Wipe the dust off, shove it in the microwave a few minutes later. And I'm thinking that, you know, this is not just for me. This is for other people, like people who have babies and yeah. children, you know, and, and a bunch of, I mean, you know, I got plenty of distractions in my life, but I don't have those kinds of complications that I can't get away from. And it's because even if you can't get back to it right away, it's very convenient to, you know, get back to it when you can and eat a bite here and a bite there, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's also when I have the cottage cheese oh. on top of it, because the cottage cheese is so high in salt, but I love it. And, um, you know, they're a perfect complement for each other. I might go crazy and crack an egg on it once in a while. You know? <laughs> well, I think that's a, a good tip. And, you know, just like we talked earlier in the show about uh, bread and that a lot of people are afraid of bread and, and don't want to eat that, kind of, potatoes kind of fall into that same um, same group. And I'll I'll see people High who go. Glycemic, yeah, right? but there are uh, other nutrients. It's at, time, yeah. it's at the time of day that you can really use it. And it's about balance, you know, you don't wait right? Until, you don't wait until it's time to go to bed. Exactly, exactly, exactly. Um, so that you know, it's a great uh, a great tip that you have, especially about kind of making you know something that can sit for a little while and still taste yummy when you get back to it. Or you know, I often have um, uh, clients who will kind of batch cook things like uh, like potatoes on the weekend, and that way they can kind of pre portion them out and have um, have meals for the week. So I think that's great. Or half cook. But anyway, good time. I mean, um, good time to be a bad girl. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. You're welcome, Mikey. Thank you so much for giving us a call. And, Elena, let's talk about a potato for a second. Yeah. uh, Because they they get a lot of hate. Um, But, uh, you know... A potato is is okay. Um, it's Absolutely. it's not the potato. It's often how we prepare the potato. Exactly. So I was going to say, let's give Mikey a gold star for not deep frying that potato. Yes. Um, <laughs> so absolutely. And, you know, potatoes here, you know, we like to put a lot of stuff on our potatoes, mm-hmm. right? So the potato itself is a, actually considered a, a good complex carbohydrate, meaning it's got some a, a good source of fiber with it. And a lot of that fiber comes with from the skin of the potato. So I do encourage people when you eat a potato, eat the skin along with it, um, because that, you're going to get a lot of the good nutrition from that as well. Uh, but just like you said, it really comes down to that moderation and then being considerate of what we put on that potato. So if you're just filling your potato with butter, cheese, and bacon – you know, I would say there's some opportunity to help lessen the potential pro-inflammatory load of that potato, um, and it's all about what you put on top of it, not the potato itself. Yeah, absolutely. It's it's like the bread. It's often not the bread. It's what you what you put on it or what you put between it that can can skew you from a well-balanced um, anti-inflammatory type meal to one that's going to push you a little bit farther away from from your health goals there. Um, Let's talk about uh, proteins in general, because we've talked about carbs, we've talked about fats. Let's talk about inflammation in relationship to protein, because while carbs may be um, a hotly 
uh, debated topic. Protein is probably also right up there with being misunderstood about how much we need and where it needs to come from and all those different kinds of things. Absolutely. And I think, you know, with protein, we often forget that it doesn't always have to be an animal source, although animals uh, do provide a great source of protein. So protein is necessary for many functions. Um, the one we're probably most, everyone's most familiar with is that muscle building function of protein, right? That's what our muscles are, are really built from, and that's how we help build muscles. But protein is also important for immune function and, uh, uh, you know, many other uh, processes in our body. So we just tend to eat a lot more protein than we need. And it, it, this is, I'm not trying to demonize protein, but we do get a lot of our saturated fat mm-hmm. intake, which if you remember from earlier in our discussion, saturated fats do promote um, inflammation. And so uh, that's because they, uh, there are different uh, mechanisms for that, but one is that they increase oxidized LDL, which is a component of our uh, lipid profile. Um, and another thing that we run into when we're thinking of inflammation with protein are, if you've ever heard of advanced glycation end products, um, these are developed depending on how our meat is cooked. So typically when meats are cooked at very, very high temperatures, that's when we get some of these advanced glycation end products that then um, can contribute again to that inflammatory cycle. So there are several, I, I say all that to say there are several ways in which our protein sources can contribute to inflammation, but we, like I said, we still need protein as part of a healthy diet. So it's going to boil down to, you know, when we go back to the plate you were talking about, Josie, of, you know, trying to make sure that it's our whole plate is not our protein. Mm-hmm. And remembering that there are other sources of protein um, that are those plant-based sources. So you've mentioned some of them already, but, you know, we also have tofu and um you know, lots of vegetables actually do provide some protein. We have um, grains that also provide protein. So, uh, you know, one I always think of is, is quinoa. And, um, you know, uh, beans are a huge one. And beans, to me, really are like a superstar food because they provide complex carbohydrates, fiber, protein. They are amazing. And they're cheap. So, um, you know, uh, those is not thinking of anti-inflammatory proteins, I would definitely put beans near yeah. the top of that list. Absolutely. I would as well. You know, of course, they're a mainstay of of my diet. Um, but again, if you choose to have an animal-based protein, it again, come, think about the, the package that comes along with it. So leaner cuts of, of meats, um, things that maybe don't have quite as much of that marveling and, and type things in there. Um, for the things that you're going to choose most often, right? It's not saying, you know, never have a piece of steak if you really love steak. But, you know, as your daily thing, try and lean toward the the leaner cuts of things, your fishes, um, if you're choosing animal products. And then my statement is always one animal at a time, right? Like you don't you don't need all the all the animals on your plate at the same time. So if you're having steak, then maybe we don't also don't have um, you know a bunch of cheese and butter and and you know bacon bits on our salad or our baked potato. Um, or if we're having eggs with with breakfast, maybe we don't also have have sausage or, or bacon um, with that and just kind of trying to limit it to, to one you know one quarter of that plate as as one one animal um, and you know there are other you know lots of other small things too I mean if you're someone that you love your meat right um, you know one thing you can do is if you during the cooking process the meat is absorbing all that 
flavor from the marbling or the fat mm-hmm. during the cooking process. So after it's cooked, cut that off, right? Right. Um, it's, it's not really doing anything for you after that unless you just like the, or someone that likes the taste of it. But, uh, you know, it really, the meat has absorbed all the flavor during that cooking process. So. Yeah, and think about, uh, you know, a lot of times I work with folks on stretching their meat, right? So if you start with, a, if you normally make spaghetti or chili or something like that with a pound of, of ground meat, yep. cut that back to half a pound and maybe throw in some of those beans or lentils, which both make great um, s- kind of swaps for a ground meat because they're they're small. Um, again, yeah. they've got that fiber and that protein in there, and that way you're still getting something that you're familiar with with the with the ground meat. But you're then bumping up the fiber um, content with the with the beans, and yep. it's cheaper that way that's because what, it's expensive. Cheap, and they are a great source, excellent source of protein and fiber. And if you're not familiar with lentils, go to lentils.org. There's some great information on how to cook them because I have found that seems to be the biggest barrier is they just people just don't know what to do yeah. with them. Um, but also throw some mushrooms in there for that mm-hmm. flavor that we get from meat. Absolutely. Absolutely. That's a great tip there. Um, and they have lentils at the Dollar Tree. And just in case you're curious, so you can get those suckers for a dollar. In this last uh, segment of the show, I'm going to talk about herbs and spices. Because last week I did a micronutrient show. And I talked a lot about sodium. And that sodium is one of those things that we might get a little bit too much of um, in our diet. And one of the ways that we can cut back on that is using other types of seasonings to make our food taste good. And herbs and spices are one of those things. So not only are they good for uh, avoiding a ton of added sodium, they can have some some anti-inflammatory properties to them as well, correct? Absolutely. Um, there are several herbs and spices. And I would imagine one that people are probably um, familiar with as far as being associated with anti-inflammation is probably turmeric. Yeah. I hear we have several patients that will say they're taking turmeric or they started using it. Well, let's talk about turmeric and or curcumin is what you may see it uh, kind of marketed as if you're talking in a supplement. And just like last week, you know, I would prefer that you get things from um, whole foods or, or food source sources and not necessarily supplements because um, they may or may not actually have what they say they have in them in them um what is turmeric and how would you go about using that if that was something that you wanted to do yeah absolutely so turmeric is a spice that's been around for centuries and you find it um in a lot of um, asian foods and and of indian indian foods it's what makes it usually it gives it that nice golden yellow color and you mentioned curcumin and curcumin is the bioactive component of that turmeric so that's what really has those anti-inflammatory properties so um, you can use it in a variety of you know if you're making you know sauces or adding it to rice and um, you know we have a, a, a culinary medicine course that I, I teach the medical students, we do uh, our, a play on, instead of using eggs, we use um, tofu and we season it uh, with curcumin. And so it also, not only adding a great flavor to it, but it tricks our eyes into thinking it's scrambled eggs. So Yeah, and, and I make that all the time. <laughs> yeah, lots of ways you can use it. It's wonderful. Yeah, and I make that tofu scramble all the time, um, you know, just kind of crumbling up that uh, tofu. And, uh, again, if you're trying to simulate how egg scrambled eggs look, adding that turmeric does give it that 
yellow color. I also add a pinch of um, black salt uh, to mine, which has a an egg-like flavor and smell. And so it really does taste just like eggs. Um, and so you may say, well, if you're making something that tastes like eggs, why don't you just eat eggs? And you can if you want to. Uh, but, uh, I, you know, I've been open on the show about my high cholesterol that I have. And so I don't need any extra cholesterol from the foods that I eat. So um, I choose not to, to do the eggs for that reason. Um, there is uh, something that helps with the absorption of that turmeric, right? Yes, and that's typically black pepper. Um, you may see that this, again, if you're going down the supplement um, train, which I agree with you, I would prefer that you get this from whole food sources, but it may say pepperine. But black pepper does help aid in the absorption of, uh, the, of the curcumin, which is that active component of the turmeric. So if you're cooking with it, just throw a little bit of black pepper in there. Um, just to help boost that absorption. Um, and, you know, it's it's turning fall on me, which, uh, you know, I am mourning the loss of summer because I am a summer girl. But one of my favorite beverages to have um, during the fall and winter is like a golden milk latte. It has no coffee in it. I don't know why they call it a latte, just because it makes it sound fancy, I guess. But because <laughs> it's got some steamed milk in it. Um, but the primary kind of flavoring of that uh, is turmeric that's what gives it that golden uh color and it also has um ginger in it which is probably one of the the other more common uh, kind of spices that we think of in terms of having some anti-inflammatory um type components to it uh so definitely definitely add ginger to that list so i would say with the turmeric um which josie you i don't know if this has happened to you before but you know, it does, since it has that beautiful golden color, just be mindful that it can stain clothing. Yes. It's hard to get out. So. And, you know, if you have like a um, beautiful pottery that you, you use that may be a little bit porous, I probably wouldn't want to put it in that either because it will kind of discolor and stain things like that. Um, but your regular old coffee mugs and pots and pans are fine. Oh, yeah. But, you know, I love making that latte with, you know, I use soy milk uh, for mine. The ginger, the turmeric, I put a little maple syrup in mine, a little little pinch of black pepper to help that absorption mm-hmm. of that turmeric. And, you know, anytime I'm kind of feeling run down or just kind of under the weather, maybe feel like I'm getting a cold, you know, I do that. Um, not that I think it's going to completely knock out that cold, but it is warm and moist and helps kind of open up your airways and those kinds of things. Um, so it can be a good, uh, a good, you know, just kind of wintertime beverage and you're getting Absolutely. some of that anti-inflammatory property in there. And in the, Go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, you know, if you want to top it off with a little sprinkle of cinnamon, you know, there's mm-hmm. been a lot of buzz around cinnamon and anti-inflammatory as well. Yeah. And, you know, this is not kind of a, a one and done type thing. You know, when you look at the research around a lot of these spices, the amount that you have to have can can seem kind of daunting. So, you know, it's it's not pouring it into a spoon and trying to, to take a whole dose of that particular spice. It's just using it in, in you know, varied ways across your, your day and in, in the foods that you eat um, so that you get, you know, kind of a collective intake of those kinds of things. Um, just in the last kind of, we've got like a minute and a half, um, beverages and which beverages we should be choosing if we're trying to lean more toward the anti-inflammatory um, pathway. Absolutely. So my first recommendation when would always be water, right? Water's the ideal. 
Um, however, if you're someone that you're not into water or you're not ready to completely transition to water, um, there are several steps you can take to work towards that. But if you're drinking lots of sugar-laden beverages all day long, okay, I would say that, you know, we've got to find a way or an alternative that is um, pleasing to you because we know that a lot of excess sugar feeds into that inflammatory cycle or can. Yeah. And the same goes for, for alcohol. It can be inflammatory. Red wine gets a lot of good press about being anti-inflammatory. It's because of those phytochemicals. Yeah. But it's not something that I would recommend adding to your diet if you're not already yeah. drinking that. Um, that's not what we're getting at. Water is going to be your best bet. Um yeah unsweetened um, green tea can also be a nice kind of anti-inflammatory beverage there. Again, the unsweetened part is the take home there. If we put a bunch of sugar in it, we're kind of canceling out that anti-inflammatory nature that way. And even black black teas mm-hmm. and coffees have a lot of those um, compounds in them as well. So, you know, it's it, like anything else, a variety of these, I think, is is what's most beneficial but just to speak to the red wine for a moment if you currently do drink red wine and you know the adage of more is better is not the case here (laughs) absolutely absolutely you know a five ounce serving of wine is one standard serving right and so it's it's really between that one and two standard servings per day for men and one for women all right you've been listening to southern remedy healthy and fit on mpb think radio This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand.